Welcome to Grassroot Diplomat Talks, the podcast series produced by Grassroot Diplomat, where diplomacy starts with you. I'm Tarnin Rahman Figueroa, CEO of Grassroot Diplomat. In today's um, session with Dr. Paul Clark, we will be discussing how to manage competing national interests. Yeah, this is a tricky one, mainly because, especially in the government field, you're bound to find yourself in tricky situations where your personal ethics and your professional ethics may not match up. In this country, I belong to the Labour Party. Does that mean that I agree with every single word that's appeared in every single election manifesto that's ever been written? And the answer is no, of course not. The reason for that is because society today is not that straightforward. It's not simple things. But what do you do? How can I square that off? I can well remember in the very early days, there was a cut that was brought through to benefits which ultimately affected single mums. And it was with a heavy heart that I actually followed that through. It was early days of being a member of Parliament. We all benefit from hindsight, but you have to make out decisions and you try and rationalise it. This happens in families, it happens at workplace, it happens at community centre, voluntary organisations, and certainly happens in government. What if you fundamentally disagree with what your government is trying to push forward? You will resign from your ministerial position. Ultimately, of course, some will resign from the whip, I not support their party. The other way of rationalising that, of course, is to say, OK, this may be fundamentally wrong, but the wider picture is this. Can I rationalise supporting X or Y because of the bigger picture? Mm. And those two, and ultimately, some, some say they can't. Just thinking, I mean, the Minister for Sport, Tracy Crouch, she disagreed with what her government was doing about fixed odds, betting machines, gambling machines. She resigned her position and people respected her for that. One of the things that we do in Grassroot Diplomat is help individuals understand what their core values are when we try to talk about how to brand yourself in international relations, especially when you're starting out or when you're representing a big body of people and you want to try to influence effectively and appropriately. What core values do you have? And have you ever been in a position where you had to ignore or cross the lines in order to fit the bigger picture of the work that you're doing? I am optimistic by nature, and I think that where you can have differences of opinion, I'm always a a belief that you actually work to try and certainly understand the other side, and obviously you work to try and get across your views to, to find that common ground. Life is a series of gives and takes. I would always do a fair bit of work before I would meet people to know what makes them tick or where they're coming from, the issues that they're facing. I think that's a mark of respect of having done your homework to Mm. understand what they're about. Of course, you can't always do it. And so do you compromise yourself sometimes? The reality is, you know, we are all on this planet. We are all trying to do, I hope, do their best. I think that is important. However, when life does get very serious, so let's say you're talking to another country about certain government policies, you fundamentally believe that their argument and their point of view is a lot more rational and a lot more logical than your country, but you're not allowed to say that. What do you do? You're right. And I was thinking, actually, I was thinking in terms of diplomats. And the key thing is, if you think about diplomats and officials, they clearly are there 
by virtue of the government of the day in their country appointing them or, or putting them in that position. And ultimately, their lines to take on a given issue, ultimately by the minister, it's important for the political masters, i.e. ministers, to build in opportunities to allow for some flexibility. Whenever you go into negotiations, you always have what you ideally want, and that's where you start. And you have a position where you're willing to move, if pushed. And we all have got that. I used to work for the trade union movement, so I'm well aware of clearly games that are played. It's part of negotiating. And what I'm thinking is those diplomats that are either because of them as individuals and the makeup of them, or because they've been given a straitjacket by their mm. ministerial bosses, it's unfair because that doesn't allow for movement. As your experience as former minister working on road safety in particular, have you ever been in a position of conflict of interest and how did you manage this? I mean, putting Britain first, for example, is quite a big thing, but how do you ensure that you work effectively with other countries even when you don't agree with their line of thought? Luckily, most of us across the globe on road safety recognise that actions need to be taken. And I was very fortunate that actually as Road Safety Minister, I actually attended and spoke at the first ever Global Road Safety Ministers Conference, which was held in Moscow nine years ago. And that actually led to to the UN Decade of Action on Road Safety. And all of us recognise that you need to do things about drink driving, mobile phones, about seatbelts, child restraints, all those things. And yet, all countries are at different stages Mm. of implementing them, or they've got the law but the enforcement of it is an issue. And I've seen this in a number of countries that I've worked in, and I see the great work going on in India, where I've just been appointed as special advisor on road safety to the NGOs out there. And this is the thing that we've said about diplomacy, just about being a decent human being, I hope. I know from the UK that having drink driving laws and seatbelt laws has saved lives. All the evidence shows it. And yet, you have to recognise that other countries are at different stages. And that could be as simple as there's so many other demands on the legislative programme about health issues or to do with education or whatever that needs the time of the parliament in that given country to concentrate on those that there's just not legislative time to get in the legislation on on seatbelts for example and it's no good me saying well that's stupid of course you should do it because you've got to recognize the reality and you've got to work with it and it's very interesting that in the uk not as road safety minister but as aviation minister i had to introduce the body scanners after one of the terrorist attacks actually happened at America, but because it's being global, you obviously had to follow this through. There were real issues from certain sections of society about infringement of personal space and everything that went with the body scanners. And it was no good me just saying that doesn't exist, it's not an issue, because it was an issue and you had to work around, and we did work it around. When seatbelt legislation was first introduced in this country, I can tell you that the number of people, this was before my time, I hasten to add, Many people argued, you can't tell us to, you know, we're not having the government tell us what to do in our cars. It's an infringement of civil liberties and so on and so forth. It was a very strong, and actually it took 10 years from the time the legislation was passed to the time it became a law for that actually to get into the psyche of people. And now 
most people it's think normalized. twice. It's normalised. Mm. So that, that's why I believe eventually you can win the day, but it may take a long time. One of my head teachers used to say, perseverance is the key to success. So it's almost like you have to go on a campaign to change the hearts and minds of the people themselves because, they, again, you're blurring the line between we, the government, know what's best for the people, but then from the people's point of view, you're, you're being too much of a babysitter and controlling too much of their lives. Absolutely right, especially when it comes to road safety, obviously something that is close to my heart. There's 1.3 million people are killed across the globe every single year in road traffic crashes. Most of them are down to you and I not concentrating, drink driving, drug driving. I mean, one of the things I was working on when we left office was uh, introducing a new legislation to do with drug driving. If it's not driven correctly, it's a lethal weapon that can mow down people and kill them. And here we were having drink that actually impairs your brain and your response time. Getting those messages across is about changing the mindset. Thank you, Paul. That was really illuminating, particularly with the difficulties government have in changing cultures and uh, making legislation be more practical at the grassroots level. So that's something very interesting for us to take on board as well. At least one chapter of the Diplomatic Planner is completely dedicated to the role and understanding of cultural humility and how to operate on an international level. And that's why the diplomatic planner is really useful in getting across that understanding. You can't be superficial. You've got to understand who and what you are dealing with in terms of the society and have those core skills. I couldn't have said it better myself. You have been listening to Grassroots Diplomat Talks. Join us again next month to discuss the practices of diplomacy and I hope you will consider joining our organisation. Add your comments to our Facebook page as well as Twitter and Instagram. Our social media handle is at GRDiplomat. For further information, please visit www.grassrootdiplomat.org. I am Tarleen and we look forward to hearing from you.